0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash (laughs) W-T-F All right, folks, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What's happening? What is happening? Happy New Year or it's New Year. Here we go. Yeah, that's better. Not happy new year. Uh, here we go again. Hang on. This one's going to be nuts. And nuts is a diplomatic description, I think. I made no resolutions. I had some some idea that maybe I would change some things. And maybe I will. I kind of stuck it in my head. But I didn't draw any lines. I don't need a reason to, uh, to beat the shit out of myself. It's something that happens naturally. Maybe my resolution should be not to do that. How about that one? How about let's not beat the shit out of ourselves? Can you do that? Because there is a difference. You know, there's a difference between uh, beating the shit out of yourself and being hard on yourself. My guest today is Bruce Springsteen, the boss uh, from Jersey. I went to Jersey and I was just, yeah, you know, just I'll tell you more about that, about that experience in a second. But I was reading his book. I I immersed myself in a lot of Bruce's music and and I I read most of his book. I didn't get through it. I got just past uh, darkness at the edge of town. It's pretty much chronological from his childhood, through his music, through his experience with his father. Talked a lot about his relationship with John Landau, his producer, who was originally a a music writer and his great friend and and a lot of other relationships in his life. But it's written beautifully. It's very poetic. It's very self-aware. This is definitely Bruce Springsteen looking back and reflecting and seeing who he who he was and is. But the, the interesting thing for me was that I noticed that he's very hard on himself. And that resonated with me because he's he is a, a one of a kind. He's very prolific. He's a, a amazing entertainer. He moves millions of people. People love him. And he's hard as hell on himself. And I started thinking about the difference between you know being hard on yourself and beating the shit out of yourself. They're just different. And I think that the difference is, it's it's it has to do with your drive. You, you know what I mean? It's 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 like um, if if you beat the shit out of yourself, you're just driving yourself into the ground. If you're being hard on yourself, you you might get better. You you might drive yourself to get better. But it's a very fine line. It has something to do with your disposition. I mean, if you think you suck and you just tell yourself that all the time, I suck, without any you know real recourse or, or without any forward thinking that's a disposition i suck yeah I've, I've convinced myself again that i suck but if you're hard on yourself and you think you're great you're just not as good as you want to be yet then you might get better i mean it's just a it's a mild adjustment but sometimes people are just too comfortable in sucking and too comfortable in self-pity and too comfortable in you know i'm fucked To make that mild adjustment to to like you know yeah I'm fucked but I'm gonna get better I'm pretty fucking good and that's you know that's what uh, Bruce Springsteen had obviously you know you know talent and courage you know will also determine the outcome and uh, one of those is uh, sort of God given the other one uh, you have to earn somehow but but I'm gonna talk to Bruce if you let me do a little a little New Year New Year's stuff here in the beginning uh, that would be nice. You can scramble on forward if you want, but but I, I do have some things to say. <laughs> the day before New Year's Eve, I watched uh, Adam Curtis's new documentary, uh, Hypernormalization, And uh, I would highly recommend you go find that thing. It's a beautiful piece of journalism. It's a very interesting two and a half hours that will expand your mind, blow your mind. I'm not going to say it's going to give you hope. Uh, it, it may be a little bleak in some ways, but at least you'll have the information. And I don't want to tip too much, but it starts, it it tracks two stories at the beginning. One beginning in Damascus in 1975, and alongside of that, New York City in 1975. And he's able to start there and run through all levels, politics, power, money, technology. uh, And he, he sort of pulls back the veil on some things and frames things in a way through history and through connectivity and, and filmmaking that will really blow your fucking mind. So in the new year, I would recommend that so you can get a little depth in terms of what is really happening. And I believe it's in there and I don't, I don't believe that too often. So heading into the new year, I got an email that I think is a nice way to start the new year. If I could, uh, And the subject line is, WTF can make babies happen. Hi, Mark and the people of WTF. I just wanted to share a little story with you for the new year. Bear with me. About five years ago, I moved from London to Barcelona. I left my friends and my job and my city of 11 years, all for a woman. This might sound like the beginning of one of those stories of woe and heartbreak, which ends with me living on the street in urine-soaked clothes, yelling at strangers and collecting plastic bags, but it isn't. The last nine months have been pretty wild. My girlfriend got pregnant in the midst of me and my buddy pushing to finish filming on a documentary that we are working on. I left my job and started working for a great company. Meanwhile, my girl's belly grew and grew and I panicked late at night when no one was around. I read shitty parenting books. I looked for wisdom from fathers and mothers. I walked. I cried at dumb songs and movies. I thought about my ego and being a dad. I felt far away from my family and my friends. So nine months later, the due date came and went. Two days, hot bath. Three days, massage. Four days, a spicy curry. Five days, a long walk. Six days, a fight. We tried everything. On the seventh day, I was doing the dishes and listening to an episode, and I decided on impulse that I would put my headphones on her stomach and let my little girl hear some of your final guitar noodling and a little boomer lives. The little bun in the oven kicked up a storm, and a short 20 minutes later, her water broke. The contractions came every eight minutes, then six, then five, then four, then three. I ran around like a loon and got everything ready. I pulled up the car, and we left for the hospital. A 24-hour labor marathon and emergency C-section later, my sweet baby girl, Greta, was brought into the world. I was taken to meet her alone in a little room off the operating theater while my girlfriend was being stitched back together. I left her there, again on impulse, and was just handed my daughter and left alone in a tiny room. She was calm, staring up at me. I had tears streaming down my face. Today I was thinking of your episode with Louis C.K. and how he cried telling the same story. I cried then listening to it, and I cried when it happened to me, and I'm tearing up a little now. Anyway, man... She's beautiful. She's made a shitty year feel like it never happened. And she made this shitty person feel like he can never be shitty again. I've spent Christmas with my girls and I feel like a new man. I feel like a dad. It's in there, Mark. I highly recommend it. Well, let's not go crazy, pal. I just wanted to thank you for what you do, share something with you, and thanks for all the brilliant people who have told their stories on your show. And I wanted to personally thank you for your cry of Boomer Lives, which sparked my baby's mind into this life. Even if you read this or not, I just wanted you to know I love you, Marin. Can't wait for Springsteen. Greta Lives, Neil in Barcelona. So Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. So Brendan and I drive to Jersey. Here's how I come into Bruce. I flew to New York because I had this opportunity to spend an hour with Bruce Springsteen, the boss, a mythic person. He is unto himself. He is the boss. He is Bruce Springsteen. And the funny thing is, is like, I like Bruce Springsteen, but I'm not crazy. You know, like I'm I'm, I'm a fan, but I'm not like, oh God. And that was helpful, because I went through most of his catalog, listening to it again, most of it, and really kind of, entering the world of Bruce Springsteen at the age I'm at now 53 getting a new appreciation for things that I was familiar with I remember when I was a teenager I had uh, greetings from Asbury Park I had the uh, East Street shuffle record I had born to run I had the river I bought Nebraska I I was definitely in and the weird thing about getting the opportunity to interview him is I was going back to New Jersey now I don't know how many of you know this some of you do I'm a New Jersey boy I was born in New Jersey, both of my parents are from New Jersey, and I left New Jersey very young, but I'm New Jersey, genetically New Jersey. That's just the truth of it. And as I was preparing in my mind to talk to Bruce, knowing that I had an hour, I needed to somehow connect with him. As many of you who listen to the show, I really wanted to connect personally with Bruce Springsteen. And I knew we're both genetically New Jersey He's from Asbury Park area, and my great-grandfather owned an army surplus store in Tom's River. My aunt still lives down in Oakhurst, and I used to go to Deal Beach in Asbury Park. My grandparents lived in an apartment at the end of the Asbury Park boardwalk. I have that in my life, in my past. And when Brendan and I drove out to the Jersey Shore, I had a lot of that thinking. I was thinking a lot about that. My grandparents are buried in Elizabeth just off the highway. It was like trying to find some genetic connection to Jersey again, and then to connect with Bruce Springsteen, who is one of, the, uh, one of the most powerful representatives of New Jersey. So heading into it, that's what I was thinking about. And that's difficult when, and I have this with a lot of musicians, when you have an hour, I have an hour with Bruce Springsteen. I'm going to his house. So we drive in. We get there early and we ended up going to Dunkin' Donuts. So I got jacked up and ate you know, two muffins and a giant Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And then we drove out to the, uh, the estate, the farm. We went through security. We were shown to this separate building. It looked like a stable, but it was a studio. And we were uh, met by the publicist and a guy who works for Bruce, a carpenter on the property, who hooked up the plugs and plugged us in. And he just left us in this room with like... A hundred or so guitars, acoustics, electrics, uh, keyboards of all kinds, uh, you know, a huge board. There was a separate living room area and a bathroom. We had coffee. There was some cronuts there. And we were just there hanging around for a half an hour. And I didn't touch a guitar. I just looked. And it seemed like there was another room past the studio that had some motorcycles in it. But it was beautiful. It was all beautiful. And, you know, the excitement was sort of starting to build. And then I'm just looking out the window and I see Bruce walking down from the house. Just Bruce Springsteen kind of walking around the corner into the into where we are. And he walked in and I said, uh, hey man, I, d- I just want you to know I didn't touch any of the guitars. He went, oh, okay. And I say, yeah, I got a nice guitar. I play guitar, but I didn't touch any. He's like, good. And then he walked me around, showed me some guitars. He showed me that he had somehow found the first guitar he played in the first amp, the first setup. It wasn't the original equipment but he had he had, he went out and found the first pieces of equipment he had as a guitar player obviously there were a few tellies around but there's a lot of different types of guitars we talked about guitars a little off mic and then we sat down and we got into it and there was just some I, you know this was one of those things where i wanted to uh i wanted to relate and get to know Bruce Springsteen and i was uh, it was an amazing experience so um before I get into this I need to tell you that uh, you know you can get his book The Memoir Born to Run and the audio companion Chapter and Verse they're 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 now available so they're out there and I've enjoyed the book very much but um but that aside whew, okay this is me and Bruce Springsteen the boss in New Jersey in his studio sitting face to face <laughs> Ice. I'm using uh, 58s Shores Beta nice. 58s.
1: The Shores we used in I'm trying to think which the ones were we used back in my first band. They were the, they didn't have the bulb on the end. They were the straight ended. Uh, oh really? They were the high end of what every. Every local rock band used. Right. If you had your yeah. Sure mic, you, yeah. were, you, were you were good. Know, you were good.
0: And a 50 watt amplifier to yeah. run your PA. Oh, right, right. Just like one speaker or two speakers? Two speakers, two column speakers. It's just that, And then the box with the knobs? Yes. Right. To own columns. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. The kind that you'd see at any event. And
1: if you had any sort of echo rigged up, you were way, way,
0: way ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the raw goods of rock and roll are very simple. Yeah, very you don't simple. Need, you don't need you don't, you don't need, need a much lot, of man. anything. No, <laughs> what, you don't need a lot. I you know I I read here's where I'm at. I'll be honest with you, with the book. I'm right at I'm right. I just finished uh, Darkness. Okay So like I, I didn't get to the end Does it end happy? Is there a happy ending? <laughs> you have to, you'll have you have to finish it and, and tell me <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: You're not clear on it it's, it's like it's a beautiful book You know because and I, and I locked into it And I just kept going with it So now like I feel like I'm in your head And now I have to get out of your head And into the present here <laughs> Okay How, Now when you're sitting around What are you getting? You're getting ready for Christmas now? Correct Yeah Yeah <laughs> So it's nothing but chaos up there in the house. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> my th- my whole family's from Jersey. I I never lived oh. here really, except when I was a little kid. And you know, in Asbury Park, like my grandparents lived in Asbury Park, like yeah. down at the end of the boardwalk in that one white building. They sure. Were, they, and there's pictures of me in those boats,
1: the little swan boats, right? The <laughs> the ones in the went in the circle, the yeah. rides. There
0: was rides there, right?
1: Oh, those boats. Yeah. Oh yeah, the little the little circle. Sur- t- yes, yeah. pretend power boats. That's
0: right. And you, you remember those? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I remember it got real shitty there, but I like I was thinking about it. It's a weird thing. And I am going to ta- I just talking for a minute cuz I talked to my dad cuz I wanted to track where my before I came over here. Like my great-grandfather owned a surplus army surplus store in Toms River. Right. And my you know, and then all of a sudden my father, I says, yeah. My father used to go down to Asbury Park, and he'd go to uh, Springfield Avenue and do whatever the hell. he
1: Springwood doing. Avenue. Springwood. Yeah. And he said
0: he got involved with what? Like the, there are these bits of information because my relationship with my old man's not great either, but he's still around. And uh, you get these bits of information about your parents or your grandparents. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, holy shit! There's a whole world that I didn't <laughs> I didn't fucking understand
1: that they lived in. Yeah. Well, Springwood Avenue was was the spot in town for a long time. Had Fish's Clothing Store, yeah. which was the the Superfly store. If you were looking for right latest the, the latest rig, you yeah. know. So uh, people traveled from all over to go to Fish's Clothing Store on Springwood Avenue.
0: And what was that? Was that the, was it a black neighborhood? Yeah, primarily. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was weird that you, you get the secret history of your, of your family. Like, I didn't get the feeling that my grandfather was going down there for good reasons. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, like, when I, when I read the book, the struggle to become who you are seems to go all the way through it.
1: That's what we're all doing.
0: Right. But, but you know that feeling when, because when, like, I identify so strongly with the father stuff, where, you know, you're sort of left on your own to do it. Do you, yeah. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that was the that was part of the problem. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that, but also part of the solution. <laughs> in retrospect, do you think when you think about your old man, were you, are you able now to? And I, I, maybe this is too heavy to start out with, but are you able now to to see that like you know which parts of him that you got oh, that are yeah. good? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you land on?
1: Well, you look back. You know, he had his own arc. He, I forget when. When we were probably having our biggest troubles, I was 16, which would have made him, uh, let me think, 31 or 2. Young. Yeah, you know. So he's, he's a young guy. Right. And uh, he was, you know, still deep into sorting. He had his his, his mental issues, and then he was also deep into sorting He'd never sorted those things out for himself, so drinking a lot too, you know, yeah, yeah, the beer, yeah, the beer, you know, so my folks left me in nineteen sixty nine which was a little unusual, usually you' leaving them, but they left me in New Jersey in nineteen sixty nine and went to California right um so that sort of left you on your own to. Continue parenting yourself as best as you could, and uh, uh, you know your life was your life was yours from that point on. Right, you know, and and uh, uh, that suited me. Yeah, you know, it 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 was. It was it was just one of the things that for where I was at I was independent already. I had the band, I had my own little community that I was a part of. I was making a few bucks on the weekends so I could I could survive. And I was happily independent. Right. So uh
0: not making a lot of money.
1: No. Right. Of course you're only you're making <laughs> right. twenty dollars. Right. But anybody that couldn't live on twenty or forty dollars in nineteen sixty nine having no dependence and right. no you know anybody could do that. You you know? Know? Right. So <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah. I mean you ate for you know you three dollars a day, right. four dollars a day was yeah. all you needed. To eat. So yeah. it was it, it
0: was it was just enough money to get by and have a good time on. And when you when you started playing rock and roll, when you started playing like when you decided that, that was gonna be it. What what's sort of fascinating about me this stuff, you know, after after listening to your music my whole life that you always had this sort of this working ethic about that it wasn't it wasn't going to come easy ever, right? right. And that that the, that you know you maybe you in particular I don't know how how other people do it we're going to have to you know work twice as hard as anybody else.
1: Well, as long as you didn't expect it to come easy, you were fine, you know. And, and also, the work was a part of a, a project of self-realization. Yeah, that uh everybody has to go through in those early periods of their youth through their 20s and into their 30s yeah so i had a tool that assisted me in in doing that you know it was the the collecting of my thoughts in song and the the uh, measuring of my progress through music yeah you know not necessarily through success right but through the music itself is it getting better am i getting better am i am i getting becoming more realized as a musician and then therefore hopefully as 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 a human being and so i had this whole project that i was working on from when i was really 14 years old that i was deeply 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 involved in that was giving my life uh, a course to follow, a center, a meaning, uh, joy, fun, and I was sort of merrily just working in the coal mine, you know. Right. And uh, I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, as I got older, and I listened to the radio and started to think, well, gee, I'm I'm as good as a lot of those guys. Yeah. You know. Why am I undiscovered, <laughs> you know, which of course, there were a lot of reasons in those days you were in you might as well have been in uh uh Egypt as it be in New Jersey right, you know, yeah, yeah. people just it was the local the localism of the music scenes in those days yeah. was was all, so no one came down from New York, yeah, let's go discover somebody. In Asbury Park. <laughs> not gonna happen. <laughs> no. Let's take you know, let, let's take our A and R guys down to the Jersey Shore Where? and see who's right. fabulous down there. Yeah. No, that that wasn't going to come. It was all
0: cover bands too, you you said that there was a lot of R and B stuff, but it was not a lot of original music. No, it was all your
1: sort of cover bands that worked all the shore clubs. Yeah. Because the shore was sort of a faux Fort Lauderdale at the time. Right. You know? And uh, so I I say in the book, we had to dig out a little bar that was doing no business. Right. Ask the guy if we could play for a dollar at the door. The student prints bar? Yeah. And go to work to jam. Yeah, go to to work there.
0: Now, when you were going through all this, like, you know, the one thing, like getting back to that idea that it seems to me that. You know, from the small bits and pieces that you talk about your family, well, there's a lot about your family, but those moments with your old man, it seemed like he had a lot of fuck you attitude to him. Well. I mean, just about the, the this and the things that outside of him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so much as that, as he was just, uh, uh he was just lost within himself, you yeah. know? Like, the, the project that I'm describing was one that he didn't under- he never undertook yeah, and if you don't undertake that project you you're lost in the wilderness at a certain age you right. know and and uh so I always look at my dad as as of course he had this anger and 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 frustration and uh humiliation, but he was also just a guy that was lost in the wilderness. You know, he'd never undertaken that project to find your course and yeah. and 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 steer it towards something. So, uh, and then of course, what I was doing looked ridiculous to him because it might as it might to a parent looking at their kid who's spending ten hours in the day just. Whacking on the guitar right. in, their,
0: <laughs> in their room, you know, but uh um, but you think that was it that it was just that you know he not he' not self realized and 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 he had depression and on top of it
1: yeah he he you know all of those things sort of contributed to uh, uh, I think what he would have felt was an unsuccessful life, which is not necessarily how I look upon it right now, I mean he had three children. He raised solid citizens. And my mother was was a fabulous partner. And and there was actually a lot of joy in his life. But I think he was he was too at sea himself to appreciate it. And he had to put in on top of it. He was truly mentally ill. And that cast a shadow over over everything. He
0: didn't know that necessarily. No,
1: he's, he certainly didn't know it, and he, and really neither did the rest of us until we were probably into our, our 20s, and he was in his 40s, you know, well into his 40s. That's
0: that's a tough moment to, to, like, you know, to sort of have to make that decision of giving him a pass out of empathy and, and compassion right. or holding on to your own resentment. Yeah,
1: well, at some point, you know, I, I was never... Much a believer in holding deep grudges for the most part and <laughs> For the and, most part. <laughs> you know, and and he's you know, your, your parents are someone you yeah. you you love them regardless. Yeah. Uh and uh so I was just more interested in who he was, what that had to do with me, and uh also how I could be of service and helpful once I realized That I was going to be the parent, and he was going to be the child. Did that happen? Yeah, it happened when he got very ill, and he needed to be taken care of. And my mother had a limit to, because of her relationship with him, was limited as to how disciplined she could be with him. So it kind of fell on me to uh, get to California and... I had to get him medicated, and I had to get him to the doctors, all of which he resisted, resisted, resisted doing. But he became a danger to himself and to others. And so, what uh, was it,
0: huh? Was it Alzheimer's or
1: no, no, no? It was just paranoid schizophrenic, is what they called it at the time.
0: Is that what he ended? Is that what the diagnosis ended up being? Yeah, really.
1: And so it was pretty intense because you're hearing voices, and and you're. Uh, you're becoming very manic. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're going for days without sleep, and you know he engaged in very manic behavior. And uh, at some point, he became very a risk to himself and mm-hmm. and to my mom and and to uh, the citizenry at large. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, I had to go out and try to assist him in getting better. You know, which we were able to do. After quite a big battle, so...
0: Getting him uh, kind of, you know, l- locked up and medicated, then taken out. Yeah, you
1: know, he had to get treatment and, yeah. and the correct medication. And, and it improved his life greatly towards the last 15, 20 years of his life.
0: Wow. Well, that must be an amazing feeling as a son to be able to show up for that.
1: Yeah, it was. It was... Uh, Bittersweet it was it was good you know and and to see him improve and yeah. enjoy his family and he was never going to be normal he wasn't right. going to be a normal father you know you weren't going to get uh i'm proud of you son yeah you weren't going to you know get too much of that uh so you had to accept that fact and you know take 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 things for what they were and enjoy what you could get and and not and at some point, you obviously lose your anger about the rest because you see this was somebody who had to struggle very difficultly.
0: Yeah, losing anger is a—it's sort of a a weird thing because it's a choice. Yet when you're in it, it doesn't feel like you have a choice.
1: Well, when, when you're in it without understanding, you yeah. know. Or, but there are, as I say in the book, there are also irretrievable relationships. Where uh events have occurred that uh, that relationships don't come back from, I mean, I know plenty of people who had to sign off from their families for a variety of reasons, yeah, for good, healthy reasons, and move on with their lives right uh so that can happen too, yeah, but if the relationships are retrievable and i I felt like mine was uh, uh, then it's 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 there's a nice payback in in seeing things uh you know come closer and become yeah, a little more
0: healthy to let go a little bit
1: and let go of you know look look back on your anger as a part of you know youthful misunderstandings and and of course you had your reasons and and there was bad behavior you know my my papa could be very cruel when he was young and you know it's not that you let that slide you live with it it's a part of your life and if you're lucky it's fuel for the fire you know i mean people don't end up in my circumstance who generally had these very placid, loving very happy fulfilled lives it's not how you become a rock and roll star you know you got to have some chaos tumult uh You know, disastrous relationships, humiliation at a young age, uh, feel disempowered, uh, enormous amount of weakness, and suddenly things start to burn, burn, burn. Yeah. And when that burning starts, if you take that flame and you aim it towards the right thing, powerful weapon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and
0: a powerful gift.
1: And powerful. And if you were lucky and had the talent... It's a powerful gift.
0: Well, that you know, that's sort of the the interesting thing about it is that when you don't get that thing from your old man, but your mother seemed like a real uh, a, a real piece of work, yeah. and just a you know, a kind of like uh, the attitude,
1: the solid citizen, you right, know, right, right, and uh, always sort of you know moving through. So I was lucky enough that I had a yin yang. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you if you had if you had yeah. two people bailing on you, I have no idea. You know, you could get so lost, but my mother was the opposite. She was the uh, the essence of consistency, the essence of unconditional love, uh, always on your side, doing her best to guide you as much as she could, but mainly that feeling of the deep, the deep love that that was in your life every day. So I had these two things that I. That I was balancing and those things did later show up in my music and uh, as part of the yin yang of my own music from the darkness dark parts and the light parts so it ended up being a very powerful uh, uh, balance yeah. that I grew up with
0: and it's also interesting to have to reckon you know to reckon with the fact that like they they're not they're going to stay together that the yin and yang, like, there's a several points in the book where yeah. they're sort of like, she couldn't leave him, he wasn't going to leave. Right. Because it was the responsibility of the situation, which I imagine had something to do with, with commitment and, and faith and maybe some religion.
1: Yeah, you know, they, it was not, it wasn't the day of divorce or an easy out on things. You know, my, my mother came from a divorced family. And I think she decided that that was never going to happen to her.
0: Yeah. No matter what. No matter what.
1: (laughs) And uh, my father provided, uh, one of the things he did provide was a man that wasn't going to go anywhere. You know, he was- Literally not out of the house. (laughs) Yeah, they were stuck together forever and for good. And so I had to- I had to address them both as, as a couple, you know, I always had to deal with them as a couple and deal with both sides of the coin. Yeah. It's,
0: it, it, it's hard to to figure out. I would imagine the the justice of that, that how do you, like, how do you, you know, you're in it and your dad's being abusive and your mom's, you know, doing whatever she does and you've got to just deal with it. Yeah. That's the, that's
1: the lay of the land. Those are, (laughs) those are the, those are the cards you've been dealt. And when you're young, you, it's they're impossible to understand. How could you live in a house where there was so much kindness and great cruelty? Yeah. You know, it was very, very difficult to understand those things, and it set you very on edge. And uh, you had your own little local minefield that you had to walk every single day which caused a great deal of anxiety and neuroticism in me. Right. You were always on edge. You were always waiting for, you know, you had this one great thing, but then you were always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Made me a very nervous kid.
0: (laughs) Right. And also, you know, there's two routes you go with that. When you have, like, a a drinking or abusive parent, either you you become that or you become the guy that controls as much as you can. And that was me. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. I became
1: the control guy. Right. I became all right, I'm not going to go to the other side of this thing. Yeah. So I went the other way, and I said, okay, I've had enough drama. I've had enough uh, (laughs) uh, unsureness uh, in my home, so I am going to create a life where everything is very controlled, and I feel safe. And I feel like I can go about my business. So I worked very, very hard to do that. Obviously, that becomes a problem too, because you become too controlling, and you squeeze out so much life. Right. From that, you can't, you can't live a life.
0: Because some things are uncontrollable.
1: Yeah. In other words, if you want to live a life, yeah, you've got to realize it's going. You are not going to be the writer of your own script life is something that happens you know you, you know you don't create you don't happen to it it happens to you so you've got to allow it in all of its uncontrollable uh, often chaos to come into your life and the way you reach adulthood is you realize that you have the power to withstand the hurricane forces that 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 the, that uncontrolled events bring into your life. Once you take you know? a few hits, yeah, you yeah. know. But also, com- what comes with those uncontrolled events? Love, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. You know, all the, those? all those you let all those things in too. Which, if you are a con- control nut. You squeeze out, because what's more dangerous (laughs) than love? love? There's nothing more dangerous
0: than that. You don't know what the hell's going to happen. That's
1: right. Yeah. You don't know what the hell's going to happen. You know
0: you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Probably.
1: Yeah, so you cannot be some control (laughs) nut and allow that into your life with all the good things while feeling, well, the bad things are going to be so bad, I'm just not going to let that happen to me.
0: So what you do is you end up sort of building a wall. I mean, you talk a little bit about boundaries in the book, but you know what you had to do in your mind was sort of build a wall.
1: Yes, I built I built quite a few of them, yeah. Yeah,
0: You know, just to protect this other part, which leads to this thing, you know, I do stand-up, and I've been doing it for years, and there was something I identified with in the book, which was, for some reason, and this is me now, and maybe you can help me. Maybe you already are, but... Uh, I can open up in front of a crowd. Yeah, like in in like and put it all out there. Well, that's easy to do, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> for, if you're that kind of person. Correct. Right, but like when I get home or when I'm in a relationship, you know, I'm like, what do you, what do you want? What do you what yeah. what what's, what's happening? Well,
1: there's certain kinds of people, you know, that only feel at home in a crowd and uh, performing
0: for them. Performing, you have, for you have
1: control. A crowd. Number one, you have tremendous control, tremendous control. Everybody's listening to you. That's-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> but, you know, but what about those times, though? You know, like, you know, I don't know if you ever did it, but like, like, it, it seems like that you really kind of had a practical way of addressing fear, you know, heading into things like you didn't want it. I have to assume it was there. But somehow, no, of course, Right. But did you ever have those nights where, you know, you, you you that one place where you have control, you go up and it's like, listen, I mean, I know well, you talk about one gig in London.
1: Yeah, of course. But your desperation has to be greater than your fear. You know, your desperation, your hunger, your desires, your ego, yeah. your ambition has to be greater than your fear. Of complete humiliation, and so, so as long as you have, as long as you have that equation correctly balanced, you're going out there, my friend, no matter what happens,
0: because yeah. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like it's funny though, because like there was a, an interesting you know, realization that you had, and I, I assume a lot of this stuff in the book—it's you thinking about this stuff. Like I have to assume that some of the stuff you write in in the book about the past is you now going like oh yeah well now that I know this of course that's what I was doing of course but back then you're like who knows (laughs) yeah I'm just going
1: all of this stuff is inside me right working it's magic (laughs) yeah and I'm just following it and I'm stumbling out on stage because I have to I don't I'm not sure why I have to at the time and then I'm just you know Exploding and letting things
0: take their course. But those nights where it's like that you didn't get the love you needed out there, (laughs) that's bad. Well, well that, I mean, that, that, because feeling. that means yeah. there ain't
1: no love nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why those nights are bad. Yeah. If you've squeezed all the rest out of your out of your daily life, and then you're not getting it there, Ooh. there ain't no love nowhere, my friend. <laughs> it's a lonely world when that happens. And you went through months like that. Well, sure. I mean, now most of the time, you know, we not would,
0: about the crowds, but where you take you were out in the exile in a way. You know, oh, I went through that
1: way. for years, you know, years and years, you know, in my real life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I always fell back on my pretend life where I got to pretend I was Bruce Springsteen. And uh, and I always had that to fall back on uh, for three <laughs> or four hours a night, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. When things get real dark, it's sort of like,
0: let's do the show.
1: Yeah. At least that's something that I know where the fuck I am. You right? Know? Yeah. That's, that's just it, that's do your place. this show. Yeah. I'm, I'm safe there. I know what's going on. I know what's expected of me. I have no problem busting my ass to deliver it. And at the end of the evening, I can go home and put my head to sleep on my pillow in a short moment of peace. You know. I did it I did it
0: <laughs> and then, then you the wake net, up
1: and hell starts all over again
0: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah you just sort of like you, know, that, you that elation that that's victory and then you it. just wake up and it's like oh
1: fuck that's right now what I'm back <laughs> I'm back in the real world no more
0: cape I don't got my superhero <laughs> outfit on anymore that's right so I, like is that where I mean that real world thing and the you know the difference between the two I mean how difficult is that did that get for you on a day-to-day basis
1: Well when you're young it's not that different when of you're course, 25 thinking, you when know you're sleeping uh, in
0: the beach or on some yeah, floor life
1: is grand you yeah. know and and you don't have that much off time cuz you're touring constantly and and uh and you don't think anything's wrong. You know, you have girlfriends. They're kind of coming and they're going. Yeah. And that's kind of natural. That's yeah. that's the way it, it, life is. When you get to be 35 and 32, something starts creeping in, you know, that, that's telling you, well, you know, you've had enough of, of – you, you've done enough of sort of the coming and going to there realize you. something's broke. Oh, yeah? Something's broke.
0: Like that shit ain't working.
1: Yeah, so something – something's wrong, you know, either with me or with the people I'm choosing or just right. There's something broke in the machine. So you start to realize that starts to creep into you when your own people always talk about women have a a, a body clock, but I think that men have one too, and when they get into that early 30s yeah. and mid 30s, you start thinking about okay where's the rest of my life
0: <laughs> right where is I'm a the, success why am i why am i sitting here in this void
1: uh, yeah where's the rest of my life you know and uh and why don't I have one I mean I shouldn't I have one isn't you know it, I worked I, for it haven't I figured out all the right haven't I figured out all the big problems you know
0: <laughs> I got all uh, the answers
1: yeah and that's when you realize when it When it finally lands on you, you realize, oh, my God, I'm back to zero in this area. And this area has nothing to do with the craft that I have, with this fortress I have built for myself for 30-some years. In this other area, I'm completely naked in the desert. There is no fortress. Right, right. It doesn't exist. Right. And so... Suddenly, when you realize that, you realize how adrift you are and you realize that life plays a a nasty little joke on you and that you can become quite mature and quite uh, successful uh, and quite developed in one area and be completely retarded. In another part of your personality. Did did you
0: find that that was, see, like, because I've dealt with some of that, but, like, you seem to have dealt with it in your 30s. I'm just feeling that now. (laughs) Oh, boy. Because I didn't get successful (laughs) until I was in my 40s. Right. So, so the feeling of getting that thing shored up, like, I'm going to be okay there, right? you know, took me a lot longer. Right. So now I'm sort of like, well, that's okay. And I thought that would answer a lot of questions. But then you're like,
1: Well, you know. think it's going to answer all your questions.
0: Will you be okay? At yeah.
1: least.
0: <laughs> How can you not feel good? Yeah. And then you're not. And then, you know, then I start to realize, because, you know, my father's uh, got bipolar and I got some of that in my family. But like with me, I was so anxious and shit. Like it, it, what I realized was I didn't trust anybody. Of course. Why would you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, it's like, so how you're not going to let anybody in? That's right. So all this stuff, no matter how many people you got around, the band, the women, whoever, you're still alone. No, I built a thing where I would survive alone.
1: I didn't trust anybody after my parents left. And after I had some very close people who died on me, my grandparents, I said, whoa, this world will kick your ass and burn you inside out. I don't trust anything or anybody that I haven't built myself. Right. And so you go about building, 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 and you keep the world at large, at bay, you know, and... That's how you live. Yeah. And you believe that not only that's how you live, that's how you can live forever. Right. And then you reach a point where you realize that, yes, you have built yourself a fortress and you are locked inside. Right. By your, you know, all by your lonely self. And that's when you realize, I got to go outside. Mm. I got to go outside, but I don't like outside. Yeah. I don't like what's outside. I, I I don't trust any of the people outside. Yeah, you know, you know, I only trust myself when I'm doing what I do. Uh,
0: and other my, people are doing what I hope they yeah, tell them yeah, to my do. My audience is there, <laughs>
1: yeah. but outside of that, I don't trust the world at all. man. the world is dangerous and scary. So and, how'd you get out there? Well, you gotta go. You know, you gotta go.
0: Well, I mean, when <laughs> like in the music. Like, like, cause like when I'm talking to you, you know, face to face, you know, I can hear the, and I can hear through the work, the, the resolution of those yeah. problems intellectually and but, emotionally.
1: But I put all of these things, I got to a
0: point where
1: I hit a wall and I realized, man, I am locked inside this thing.
0: What year was that? Like what, I mean, what were you doing I, creatively? I, well,
1: I was, I wrote Nebraska and I took this trip across the country that I mentioned in the book. Yeah. And uh, during that trip, I felt so alienated from everything that I was coming in contact with that when I hit the West Coast where I had bought myself a small home and I realized I can't live here. This is in New Jersey? And, and this little house is closing me in. Oh, really? Get me back on the road. Yeah, yeah. And But I realized that if I got back on the road, I was just going to bounce back to the East Coast and feel the same way and bounce back again. I realized I'd run out of my options. All my rock and roll medications had come to a point where, okay, that part of your life, where all those things worked for you and you thought you were okay is over now. It's over. You're never going to feel that those things can make you feel completely all right again.
0: So like Nebraska was almost a cry for help in a way. It's over.
1: (laughs) It's over. It was over then, you know? And so now you're going, Oh my God, I got to go out. And that was when I got into the analysis because I didn't have a key or a clue as to how to put my foot in the real world. I was 30-some years old and still doing every every deal I had was in pure cash. I didn't have a checkbook. I didn't have a credit card. If I wanted anything, I paid for it in cash. Yeah, and And so I was in my own little... You know, my, my, my own little and, dream work.
0: And and John Landau told you that? that and he was the guy that said, "Yeah, <laughs> you need professional help, And that's pal. not something you would grow up with. Or it was, no. You probably had a natural aversion. Of to course. Who the hell does that? I didn't know anybody. Working people that do that? See,
1: I didn't ever, I never knew anyone with the exception of John himself, who I did trust greatly, but with the exception, of, I never knew anyone who had anything like that. And I grew up around sick people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up around people. We don't, were, we don't we don't get help. No, who are deeply, <laughs> yeah. deeply mentally ill. No, if Jesus doesn't work, then no, we're going to live with it. You know, you went off to the county home. Yeah. You know, is where you went. Right. And uh, uh, I grew up around people who were seriously mentally ill and no one really got any help. So this was a revolution for me, but it was the thing that worked, you know. I went in and, and I I a lot of the things we're talking about, I gave a name to.
0: You got tools.
1: Yeah, and I said, "Okay, oh, I got it. This yeah. is all this playing. This is just this. It's not everything. Everything Compartmentalized. Yeah, everything is still waiting for me. Right. But to get to everything I got to go out where everything is. And I don't like
0: to do that. (laughs) Everything being
1: uh, life, love, you know, the world at large, children, you know. uh, And to go out there, I got to go out there where life and the world is going
0: to happen to me but that's an interesting thing to me because like now, if I really think about the music and I think about that relationship mm-hmm. that you have with your audience, a very specific audience in a way they, they love you and they, they, you know they, 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 you, they look up to you, you, you speak for them because in the midst of all your understanding poetically, you know both light and darkness and the charisma that you bring to the show. There was, there was a certain purity to it yeah. Like there was almost an innocence to it Because you know you were working This stuff out mentally Yeah. That you know emotionally you were connecting To other stories and moving some of your Own emotions through it but because Of your kind of almost because of The world you built for yourself They were experiencing you as this pure being Well the funny thing is I was writing About it richly yeah. in my music Right I just wasn't living it Right you know and- well, that you, you, In that book you had that amazing path where you said that because your father was incommunicative, you had to picture both sides of the of the conversation in your own head and, and resolve issues that were going on between you and him in the characters that you built in your own head. So your empathy was huge, but perhaps you well, know, that, too that, embracing. That came...
1: Part of that is I always believe it's a genetic predisposition to being a certain kind of person. My mother was extremely sensitive. We had a lot of empaths on her side of the family and I got dealt those cards which were very helpful when it comes to uh, watching and writing music and yeah. experiencing life in other people's shoes and putting yourself in other people's places it's a great way to work not always the best way to live
0: but yeah, because you get crushed
1: yeah you get crushed you know and so you got to learn how to then you have to learn how to do that and be that person while at the same time putting up some very sane, where you need to put up some very sane and protective uh,
0: boundaries. Boundaries, right? You know? So you don't get taken advantage right. of, which you were at times,
1: many times. Yeah, you know. And so <laughs> I had to learn, like, oh, I got it. I'm really in control here, but I'm kind of a sucker for all these other things. That's it. when they come my way. You're a mark. I'm a mark for all these other things. I had a classic thing happen to me in New York City where I got caught. In a classic New York City con game.
0: No kid, Three card money? No. Oh, <laughs> Guy came up to me on the street. Yeah. Uh, this is when you were Bruce Springsteen?
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People Guy knew you. Guy came yet. up to me on the street, uh, said he was uh, from South Africa, uh, came into town, oh, taxi yeah. driver picked him up, got dropped off
0: uh lost a briefcase
1: lost you know lost a briefcase it's in it's at madison square garden it's filled with money and i'm going oh how can i help you (laughs) You (laughs) And, and this leads to a variety of other circumstances where i finally end up on a street corner and a guy who says i've got a gun in my pocket because i finally was i finally realized I'm caught in something here. It's it's not bogus. Yeah. You know, and I end up walking away anyway. Uh, But I said, hey, why did I, why am I the guy that out of the thousands of people on the street that day, somebody looked at me and said, that's my man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I know that. That's my man. And I said, okay. I'm putting something out here that's great sometimes, but not so good in everyday life. That's a a tough realization. (laughs) It was. I had to realize, whoa. Yeah. Because then you got to learn how to look hard. I'm kind of stupid
0: this way. I don't know what it is because it's like, you you know, either you got that. It's like William Burroughs said, you can't hide the mark inside. (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) You can't. Right. And it took me a long time. To
1: realize that a part of me was that person, and then to start to build the boundaries that not only were good for me, but were good for the people that were around me because I wasn't doing them any service either, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and that was kind of the beginning. It was it was an adult thing to do. Well, you gotta learn how to go like, No, I can't. No, you gotta to learn to, you gotta learn the the yeah, no work. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You know can't to, do it. Yeah, to your friends or to people that are yet, to, you gotta learn how to you know, say no, I can't. And for me that was really hard because I'd heard no I can't so often when I was a child, I said, I'm not gonna say no to anybody when I when when I grow up I'm not going. Yeah,
0: You're gonna give it all away.
1: Yeah, I'm not going. I'm gonna give everything everything away. And so uh and
0: you trusted people stupidly. Yeah,
1: completely. Yeah. Completely. I both I both was somebody who didn't trust anyone and trusted everyone. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time when I went outside. So
0: so uh but well, you trusted your was, creative vision, you know? So yeah. like so like they like that ego you're talking about which I can kind of identify with in the sense that sort of like I'm going to be big. You know, I'm and I'm going to do it my way.
1: Yeah, that and also th- I, I idealized People in my songs, and so I then projected that onto, you know, just whoever I met. You know, oh, sure, right. Which this which a, which I made of, this guy up. I yeah, wrote this guy. Yeah, which plenty of times yeah. worked out great, and then but sometimes not so
0: great. But, <laughs> right. But the stubbornness, really, like there's some points in your career where you were like, you know, this this is the the my way thing served yeah. you, you know, greatly. Yeah. And that you know you fought the good fights for your creative vision. That eventually paid oh, yeah, off, yeah. But it was a hard time. Yeah. There was one bit in the book that like struck me just because of what we're living through now. There was a moment in the book where you talked about the high school principal encouraging the you know you had the rah rahs and the greasers and then the meatheads. But you know there was a, you know this was a high school thought. But you know when you were a long hair and you were going to go to graduation, that he subtly encouraged somebody to anybody to get you in line. Yeah. You know, which we now have a president elect. <laughs> that, that he's a high school prince. that high school principal. Yeah, the, the guy who's going to sick the bad guys on you. Like I can't do it myself, but I'm not saying you should.
1: <laughs> so and, somebody knocked that guy in the
0: face. Right, right. That's scary. Not me, but somebody yeah, yeah. do it. I'll pay the bill. I'm not even going to tell you to do it. I'm just saying it wouldn't bother me if you did. Exactly. And that's you know, you know, it's like when i think about i don't know are you scared now <clears throat> yeah
1: yeah of course how could you not be
0: right is this, is this have you felt this fear before no right
1: i felt disgust before right but never never the kind of fear that you feel now right and it's simply the fear of is someone simply competent enough to do this particular job? Right. Forget about what, where they are ideologically. Right. Do they simply have the pure competence right. Right. To, uh, to be put in a position of such, you know, uh, in
0: responsibility? He's so, like, when, you, when you've done the amount of self-work you've done and you've grown up the way you've grown up and, you know, you know people, it's sort of like we, they elected the most insecure, you know, needy, yeah. volatile dude. And like you know, to to do this job like that that somehow or another, I don't think it like it, it, it embodies strength to to a lot of people, but no. it does embody "fuck you." Yeah, There's just like it's just they just voted for who are you voting for the "fuck you" guy. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. And, you know, like, in, in like, so I started thinking about like this weird thing about the themes of your music and, and the people that, you, you know, you empower and, and, and empathize for people in your life, your younger sister who, who live a working class life. Of course. And, and times are tough. But, you know, that shift, and I think you might have suggested it in the book a little bit, that the, the, the strength that comes through, through faith or determination to deal with adversity is 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 that that's a celebration of the american spirit but once adversity tips into hopelessness however that looks and you've written those characters too you know and and they've acted you know sometimes badly but when when the hopelessness you know has no place to go this is where we're at you're right so how how do you like where's your empathy around that you know i know people that voted for him you live in new jersey you probably know a few of course and then you have that moment where you're like, well, who the fuck are you? Who are you? I thought I knew you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I understand how we got elected. Yeah. you know. And uh, I think if you were affected deeply by the deindustrialization and globalization and the technology, technological advances and you have been left behind, that somebody comes along and tells you, I'm going to bring all the jobs back. Don't worry about it. They're all coming back. You know? And you're concerned about America changing, the browning of America. I'm going to build a wall. You're worried about ISIS. I'm going to, I got a secret plan to defeat ISIS. Don't worry about that. Uh, you're worried about uh, terrorism in the United States. I'm going to register the Muslims and we're going to ban. I mean, these are all very simplistic, but very powerful and simple ideas. I mean, they're they're lies. They can't occur, mm-hmm. you know.
0: <laughs> but if they do occur, they can't lead to a better place. Yeah,
1: yeah. But if you've if if you've struggled for the past thirty or forty years, and this has been the themes, the very themes of my of much of my creative life for all those years, uh, somebody comes along and offers you something else, particularly after you feel you've been failed by the the two parties you know that it's a compelling it's a compelling choice and uh it it just appeals to your worst angels and under certain circumstances you know p- enough people went there not a majority of the people but enough
0: and what's your biggest fear of it as we enter it
1: i suppose would be that uh uh a lot of the worst things and the worst Aspects of what he appealed to comes to fruition, mm. you know. Uh, when you let that genie out of the bottle, bigotry, uh, racism, uh, when you let those things out of the bottle, they do Intolerance. Don't, the intolerance. They, they don't go back in the bottle that easily if they go back in at all. Right. You know, whether it's a rise in hate crimes, people feeling they have license to speak and behave in ways that previously were considered un-American and are un-American. Uh, that's what he's appealing to. And so my fears are that those things find a place in ordinary civil society demeans means the uh, discussions and events of the day and the country changes in a way that is unrecognizable and we become estranged, as you say, you say, hey, uh, well, wait a minute, you voted for Trump. Uh, uh, I thought I knew who you were. You know, I'm not sure. You know, the country feels very estranged. You feel very estranged from your countrymen, you know. Yeah. So those are all dangerous things that, uh, and we don't even know, you know, he hasn't even taken office yet. They never want to see and everyone's, yeah. And it's Those as, of us who <laughs> panic are panicking. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we got to wait and see. But, uh, but those are certainly the implications. And if you also look at who he's been picking for his cabinet Uh, doesn't speak very well for what's coming up. Uh, You know, those are all things that, that, you know, I'm very frightened of and, and waiting to see play out. And all you can do is say, well, I'm going to do my best to, Hey, America is still America. I I believe in its ideals and I'm going to do my best to play my very, very small part in, in maintaining those. Are you writing about it? No, I haven't written about it. You know, it takes a while to digest all those things. And even and I don't know if I will, you know, because I, I don't write I don't go, OK, the the, the I need a Trump album. That's what's got to come. No, next. But, but but
0: but I think if you look at, you know, certainly your heroes and, and certainly, you know, your shift into the power of of popular folk music and and what you know folk music meant like you know it's interesting i've
1: I've got a lot of songs that are about it right now you know they're all there they're there you
0: know they're kind of
1: there already and and uh you know if, if i i work from the inside out in other words i'm inspired by something internally and i make a record based on what i can write about at a given moment uh Sometimes it ends up being topical. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, but but we've got a we've got a good arsenal of material right now that we can go out and. Yeah. Sort of put in service
0: of. It's interesting when you write in the book about the, the that there was an intimacy to the business, whether it was uh, you know broken or corrupt or whatever. But you know where you had relationships with DJs, where where an article in the press could make a difference, where where a song. When you think about Woody Guthrie, or you think about the power of, of that that music in those circles, how it could convey. A message of unity and i think a lot of what you talk about you know in your experience with uh your fans and, and what music does is that there there is a community what's scary now and i think you, you kind of point your finger out it a little bit is that it's so fragmented that there's now you know you can pick a world to live in that's not the real world that, yeah you know,
1: it's it's uh you know as they say it's your little bubble you know yeah and uh you know New Jersey's a blue state, and you know sure. I certainly ran into more Clinton supporters than I did yeah. trump supporters, but but uh, i did I did know both and and uh, I think if there's a benefit to what's occurred, and this was a little similar after the o j verdict was that people realize, whoa, there are some other Americans that are my countrymen that. I simply, I'm not sure I know who they are. So the answer is is not to pull back into your little box, but no. the answer is, well, let's find out. You yeah. know? one way or the other. You know, and yeah, uh, and, yeah uh, we're going to find out. There's plenty of good, solid folks that voted for Donald Trump. Right. You know, as long as, as well as people who had other agendas, but you know, to to know that you've got to. Like you've got to know some, you know, and uh, I think um, what it
0: is some a little bit is just this idea of change, you know, that whatever they were afraid of, they voted their fear. Yeah. And but they they but the thing that's American that that is is sort of unnerving a, a little bit is that sort of like, it'll be all right. It's going to yeah. work itself out. <laughs> and then yeah. me and I'm probably I don't know about you, but there's part of me that's like, I don't know. I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you, it's shaken the faith. Of course, you know, so, uh, so we'll see.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's all we can say right now. Yeah. And,
0: <laughs> and what have you done differently to, to finish up here? Like, you know, because I know, like, I don't have kids. Like I, I, you know, I don't, uh, yeah, I've been married a couple of times and didn't have any kids. You can do that if you really focus on it.
1: It's you can, incredible. You can put your <laughs> mind to it. Like, you're know, like, I, I can fuck
0: up a relationship. I can be with a woman who wants kids. I'm not going to have kids. So I, but, uh, but you, you somehow, you know, I guess through self work and through uh, you know whatever you had to do to to get your darkness in place, you know we're able to to rise up. Like there's that moment after darkness where you said like, all right, you know, born to run's about freedom in that way, yeah. selfish freedom. And then there's responsibility, and somehow or another. You've put yourself together enough.
1: Well, there's, there's, there's license and there's freedom, and those two things are very different. That's right. I always say license is to freedom as masturbation is to real sex. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's not the real but thing. But
0: like you, you talk a lot about manhood. It seems like you've manned up and you've become a, 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 a decent... You're always a decent guy, but you're a good father, and, and how do you do it differently? How conscious well, are you? Well, I, I think you have
1: to believe in the things that you don't know. You know most people, the things they don't know they don't believe exists (laughs) very often you know yeah yeah so you you have to sort of believe in the things that you don't know know that they're there know that they're an important part of a full life and then you have to go out and you have to find a process in which you come to know those things whether they're appealing things about yourself or whether they're not, you've got to, usually you've got to go out and learn about all the ugly things about yourself and all the mistaken things that you've done uh, to construct uh, uh, a responsible version. Yeah. You know, you've got to go out and sort of incorporate that, learn those things and incorporate them into your life. In doing so, you learn a lot of forgiveness you learn, uh, uh you know, your tolerance increases tremendously and you learn a lot about the way life happens to you, as I say. And you've got to prepare yourself for good things that come in your life and also the bad things that come when you open yourself up to the world at large. And so that, that was the biggest change that happened in my 30s that I had to... I had to make... It was like going back to learning my first chord on the guitar. I had to learn the first chord on myself and and build it just the same way I built the craft of playing and singing, slowly, step by step, angry, sometimes joyful, until finally I was able to put together a me that other people, once they got to know me, would be able to stand, you know? <laughs> and then... Once I was able to do that, then, you know, then your kids come along and, and, you know, you have a wife and a a relationship and, and you do your best to try and not fuck those things up as you go, which is not easy to do. And, uh, and, but suddenly you wake up one morning and, you know, there's a life there, you know? So. uh, And a lot of it's not in your control most of it some of it is but a lot of it a lot of
0: it is not and you're okay with that and you gotta be okay with it <laughs> <laughs> and and you gotta have a little faith that's right
1: yeah that's right
0: thanks for talking Bruce my pleasure man thanks a lot okay well that's me and Bruce I hope you enjoyed that I know I know I wish I could have hung out for another couple hours but uh, read the book it's very honest. It's all in there. After we were uh, we were done with our hour, um, we were walking around a little bit. I told him about uh, Keith Richards and smoking that cigarette with Keith Richards, and he laughed. And I say, "Hey, man, can I have a pick?" I thought maybe he had like a lot of people, a lot of musicians have picks with their names on them or whatever. He goes, "Ah, yeah, man, I I, I can give you a pick." And he's looking through all these picks, and he doesn't have any like Bruce Springsteen picks, but. He does have a pick that he uses, and it's special because it's this large, thick pick, which I, I use, a big triangular pick. And on the top, there's this thing on it, and it's a piece of sandpaper. He has his guitar tech, or his guy. He puts sandpaper, tape, sandpaper, on the top of these picks so Bruce doesn't lose them because his hands get sweaty, and they don't slip out of his hands. So I've got a, uh, a sandpapered uh, Springsteen pick that I will cherish Along with this conversation, so, whew, all right, I'm I gonna, I gotta play a little guitar now. But you know, you can split if you want. Uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year.